Hey, well, friends, welcome to Halfway There. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. Thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Eric Nevins. Uh, if you haven't checked out uh, my brand new um, eight-day experience uh, Bible study on the website, just go to halfwaytherepodcast.com, click eight-day experience. You can get that there. Would love to have you check it out as a tool for your journey. Well, today I'm excited to share with you um, our guest. She is a spiritual director. She's here in town in Denver, and I can't wait to hear all about her story and how she ended up in spiritual direction. She is Millie Klein. Millie, welcome to Halfway There. Well, thank you for having me. I am glad to make the connection, and I can't wait to hear about this. I'm so glad um, that there are people like you doing what you do in this city. But tell us a little bit about who you are and where God has you right now. Well, I am. Um, I work as a spiritual director under a ministry called Urban Sky, which um, we are. Our titles are Creative Guides for the Spiritual Life. And I would say we're actually a bunch of misfit pastors. Um, nice. The original group that kind of started had all pastored in various churches, but felt called more to what we would consider the 95% in the Denver metro area than the 5% that has someplace to go at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning. Yeah. So really called to the majority of people in Denver who I would say are spiritual and have faiths, but have no sense of, or, or aren't sure how they want to practice that. And so that's kind of my umbrella. Um, and we all do what we kind of call gigging, um, do a little bit of everything. So as a spiritual director, I meet with people individually. I do groups. Um, I teach some classes on contemplative practices. I mentor um, a number of young leaders in town. Um, and have done that for a very, very long time and kind of um, walk with them in their spiritual paths. I do staff trainings. Um, I do retreats. Um, I do executive coaching. I do premarital and some marital classes with the Enneagram and Myers-Briggs. So you name it. Oh, yeah. I'm a jack of all trades, a master of none. <laughs> <laughs> So. I, I like that. Well, the Enneagram has come up here uh, recently multiple times, so I'm glad to we'll, – maybe we'll explore that. Um, but also, tell, tell people what spiritual direction is because it, it's kind of a term. It's a little nebulous, a little a little out mm-hmm. there, probably unfamiliar to your average churchgoer. Um, so what like what is that? And then – or at least evangelical churchgoer, right? What what, do, what is it, and then how do you practice it? Well, spiritual direction is actually a very ancient um, Christian discipline, but it was kind of lost during modernity somewhat by the church. Um, And really, a spiritual director um, meets with you. Most directors meet about once a month with the director, uh, with their directee. And really, a director helps you recognize God's presence in life, is what I would say. They help you to. Uh, firm God's voice, God's leading. They just listen with you. And I think more than anything, um, a lot of what I do with the people I meet with is help them learn to trust God's voice in their life and recognize that. Um, we, I think I was taught as a kid that God had a still small voice, that it was hard to understand God's will, and yet it was there. And through my training, I came to understand that God speaks loudly, clearly, and all the time. And the problem is, is that no one had ever taught me how to listen. Oh, wow. When I was taught to pray, I was taught to talk. <laughs> right. Oh, I love that. Yeah, that's that's such a huge theme. Learning to listen to the Lord instead of just speak to Him as you pray, that's a whole different level, isn't it, of of intimacy with him. And, you know, I know that some people get a little excited about whether or not we're trying to add to Scripture. We're not at all. We're trying to just embrace the life of God that Scripture offers us. That's exactly right. And I think the the idea of a director didn't leave us, even though we didn't have um, many spiritual directors for a number of for hundreds of years, I think, to 
were only a few, and mostly within the Catholic Church, but the mm-hmm. Quakers also have always practiced discernment and mm-hmm. listening and had guides that do that. Um, we kind of lost it, but we've had spiritual mentors our whole lives. We often called it discipleship, and and I think there were people who were gifted in doing that, people who taught you or who listened with you and listened to your life and helped guide you. And so spiritual directors are also, some people call them spiritual guides or spiritual friending. Another term is spiritual midwife. It's kind of, which I really love. It's actually helping someone almost birth what God's trying to bring forth in their life. Yeah. And so you're with them through that process of what's God bringing forth. Um. So I love that kind of picture, but there's a lot of really beautiful pictures for the idea of a spiritual director. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, I want to talk more about that, and we'll get back to that when we find, when we hear the story of how you discovered it and when you got there. But t- take us back. So I don't even know, are you from Denver or are you from, from this area? I am not. You're not. Um, okay. And you'll probably pick up somewhere along the way. I was. I grew up um, in a suburb of Dallas, Texas. Okay. Born and raised Texan, um, and so it will come in, come through <laughs> at times, probably in my in the way I speak. But moved to Denver thirty years ago. Okay. So to go to graduate school. So I grew up in Dallas. I grew up um, Southern Baptist um, in a Christian home. Um, was one of five kids, so grew up in a big family. Um, I had a really great, I'd say, upbringing for the most part, though we definitely were a family that had some serious struggles. Um, but our faith was always part of our life, um, and church was definitely always part of our life. Yeah. Um, so was church your community really growing up? Was that that was the place where you guys had community? Um, I would say, yeah. I mean, church was definitely when I was really young was, yeah, that's where our community was. And then my parents became involved in young life when I was still in elementary school. My sisters were much older and in high school. And they actually had the first young life club in Garland, which is where I grew up in my our home. But I was only in elementary school. So then I really grew up with young life. And that was the other huge part of our Christian community was this, which was a wonderful thing because young life brought in fun and laughter to our faith, where I definitely grown up in a church where our faith was more serious. Um, and so it was a beautiful balance. But Young Life was kind of always present with trips and even when I was young. And then the other part was definitely our other community was definitely our church. And my, my father to this day, my mom has passed, but still goes to that same church as does my oldest sister. Oh, wow. Very big part of our life. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. So how did your faith start to become your own? Um, you know, I, as we do in the Baptist Church, I walked the aisle ah. at nine and made my first profession of faith. And it was very real to me even then. Um, I wasn't pushed to do it. I can remember tugging, tugging on my mom's sleeve and saying, I think I need to go. I think I need to go. And she's like, okay, you know, do you want me to walk with you? And I was like, no. And um, I, I say as, I, as an adult now that that was my own decision. And that's when Jesus became my savior. Yeah. Um, and I kind of recognized that. And so – I, I really do believe kind of that was a, an important step, first step for me. So. Yeah, super important. Okay, so uh, that's such an interesting age, right? That sort of 9, 10-year-old, mm-hmm. like right before mm-hmm. they start to get hit that tween years yeah. and uh, still have the innocence of, of the elementary years and uh, mm-hmm. very tender. I've got a couple kids right in there right now and I'm observing it with a lot of wonder. And I think that's such a big part of it is wonder. And yeah. you look at the adults around you and the community and yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I think it's a precious part is it was so real in my nine year old life of this. There was this beautiful love that wanted me and was part of, you know, my life. So, yeah. Fantastic. Okay. So you started growing and uh, so church was always part of your life. The Lord was always part of your life. How, what was learning like for you in that learning stage? What, um, you know, were there events or moments when 
you were that you remember and say your teen years, early early in the years that were really kind of formative for you? You know, I was involved both um, at church and in young life all the way up through high school and went to camps nonstop and learn, learn, learn. I was kind of a voracious learner and I was kind of a junior leader in young life. We didn't have one in my high school. Um, so I recruited my own leaders because I knew all of them. And nice. actually one of my older sisters became one of my young life leaders. I recruited her and some of her friends and um, not many people can say, well, you started your own club and you're in high school, but I had so grown up with it. But really, probably my next um, kind of my own little crisis with God and next step in my faith was definitely college. Um, went off to college, a lot more freedom, a um, lot more deciding who you are. Um, did, you know, definitely did the most rebelling I probably ever did was in college, though I was always an incredibly good kid. Um, so it was a very tame version, but, um, but what did that look like? This, oh, what's I a tame version of rebellion? Yeah, well, I definitely drank, uh-huh. um, too much at times. Um, I definitely, um, I, you know, I went to parties. I went to, I, I just wasn't a super bad kid. Didn't get into drugs or any of that, though. I had lots of friends who did, um, but I just um, didn't go to church a lot, but it was funny because I was still involved. I ended up being involved with the church and being a youth leader and became a young life leader. And that's kind of where the crisis came in is mm. I had trained to be a young life leader and they were trying to help me find a club to be a leader in. And I don't know why, but we they just couldn't find a good place, a good fit. And um. One night I was trying to get to a club and I got lost and I never got there. And I came home and bawled for hours Oh wow! because I, it was like my sixth time to try to make something work. And I was like, what's wrong with me? Do you not want me, God? Oh, I'm trying to volunteer, you know? Um, and that was before Google. So yes, you that's could, right. There was no GPS. So you got a lot. No How did you interpret that then? So you're asking God, like, what, you know, what is going on? Is this where you want me? Well, in, in the midst of all that, as my sophomore year of college, I had come to recognize I was pursuing a degree that was my dad's dream. I had joined a sorority. It was my mother's dream. Oh, wow. <laughs> because, and, but that I wasn't happy in either of them, that they weren't me and they weren't my dreams. And so I think I was pretty angry at God, like I've tried to serve you and I'm trying to be good and I don't even know who I am or what I want. And every time I try to be really good, it doesn't seem to work out. You know, it was a beautiful and a hard faith crisis. Um, am I in totally in the wrong place? Have I done everything wrong? Um, so I went through a little crisis of, do you even want me? Do you love me? Do you, I always, what came out of that is I ended up being assigned to start a new high school that was on the quote, other side of the tracks. It was it was a high school full of minority kids, um, and I was kind of like, "Why me?" And I was alone. They let they assigned me it alone, um, and it set me on a whole new trajectory of life. <laughs> um, and in the midst of that, I started to own who I was, and that I had some gifts and some things God wanted for me. So I will say at about 1920, I came to the next step and I really kind of went, oh, you didn't just want to be my savior. You wanted to be my Lord and you wanted to, you want to guide me, but I don't even know what that means. And, and it's time that I kind of start learning to listen how to, what does it mean to follow Christ, not just be a Christian? Yeah. Oh, that's such a great question. Kind of the question we all have to wrestle with at some point, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. And I and at about 20, I was like, okay, I've been a good Christian, but how do I follow? How do I pick up my cross? How do I listen? Who do I, you know, how do I know who you created me to be? How do I live into that? Yeah. Man, I love that. Because here's the thing. Some of some of our friends here listening, they're in those moments right now, right? They're They're saying, hey, I've done all the right things. I've been there. I've done that stuff. 
Um, I've read all the, done all the Bible studies, showed up at church every time it's open, but maybe that's not feeding them where they are, you know, and they have to start to ask, well, God, what do you want for, for me and from me? Right. Yeah. Okay. So how did you, your lean young life, what happened then? And how did you start to step into listening and being a good follower? Oh, that's a, that's a great question. And I think it was a, that it's a, a decade of answer. Yeah, sure. We, you know, I'm, <laughs> so over my next decade of my life, I, um, I did become a young life leader. I, I think I started taking more risk, if that makes sense. I started stepping out of my comfort zone more, which pushed me to trust that God could use me, even though I was really uncomfortable and had no idea what I was doing. And, um, and I think that was the first step was to not just be safe, but to take risk and to build relationships outside my comfort zone and to not necessarily just follow what I'd always been taught as far as like, you know, I really question my degree and I question sorority life and all of that. Um, didn't end up changing my degree. I was too close to finishing. By the time I kind of got through this, I was a junior and I was like, I'm finishing. But I really threw myself in more into volunteering and discovered myself more through that. Um, ended up with two really great mentors who really guided me during the next two years. Um, and even after, for about four years, I stayed in, I went to the University of Texas, stayed in Austin and worked after school, mostly because of I was really an involved leader and because I had great mentorship. So I had a job there. And well, I want to I ask about that because I yeah. think it's so important to acknowledge people who are willing to invest in others. So uh, like what, yeah. what are, you don't have to name them if you don't want to, but what's something that you took away from those mentors that you otherwise wouldn't have had in your walk with the Lord? I think. For the first time in my life, people were listening to me. Yeah. Um, I had been taught, like I had been taught to pray was to talk. I feel like most of my Christian upbringing was gathering information. <laughs> and so there was always a lot of talking and here's information, here's information. But I don't know that I ever felt very listened to. I was a middle child. It was very loud in my house. And I think those mentors just listened. And probably were spiritual directors without ever using that title. They really listened to me and listened to, I think, God's process in my life and very gently guided me and encouraged me um, as a young woman that I had gifts and that God did want to use me. And that it it was actually both my men. I could not find a woman for the life of me. Um, It was years before I could get a woman to mentor me, which I think is a tragedy. Um, why, why do you think that is? Like, well, I, most women I talk to are like, I'm so busy. I have kids and I have this. Yeah. And, um, I think they, and I had a number of women say, well, no one's ever mentored me. So I don't even know what, to, how, the, out of their own fear and lack of belief in themselves. I think they didn't step into, and I, there were, um, some women leaders around me. I just, I ended up with these, one was a youth pastor and one of them was the area director of Young Life. They were the ones who kind of sat with me and listened and appreciated it and yeah. really guided me actually to the next step was moving to Denver. Oh yeah. Well, that's super important. Um, I think it's one of the reasons that it's, it's important that people like you step out and break that cycle, right? To mentor young women, uh, or women just in general, uh, because people are craving it. People crave, I think listening is a huge piece, like you said, but people crave attention in a world that's, that's, um, just completely competing for attention all the time, whether it's social media or advertising, or even just billboards as you're driving down the road, there's, um, something really valuable about people who will pay attention to you to hear you and then actually direct you on a path that's right for you, not the one they want for you. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. I think we're we're starving to be listened to, every one of us. I, I think the sad part of our lives is we're rarely really listened to intently. 
And I think that usually comes from, and so people pay people <laughs> to listen to them. Right. And I think that's, and I, and I'm like, that's a sad part of our society, but we, we move so fast that we're a little afraid of just listening um, and just being there. You know, I would tell people like, just take me grocery shopping with you. I just, I just want to be with you. I want to learn from your journey. And they're like, oh, you don't want to do that. And I was like, yeah, actually I do. Yeah. You know what, what's interesting about that is that's such a daily task, right? It's such a small thing. Um, I had mentors in seminary when I first went to Trinity, I actually ended up dropping out of there. That's a different story, but um, (laughs) they, uh, they, like he would say, Hey, never go anywhere alone. Right. Just Mm, always take, take someone with you. So yeah, even, even to the grocery store, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And I try to do that with my kids if I'm going, even though it's a lot harder trip (laughs) carrying an eight year old until, right. But (laughs) it is. And you end up buying more. (laughs) Right. But it's so important. So anyway, that's great. Okay. You moved to Denver. And so this, you said was about 30 years ago. Tell us, tell us that story. I, um, I kind of felt like I should go to seminary. I didn't even know what seminary was, but I don't know where even the idea came into my head. But in speaking with a group of friends, somebody, I was like, I just had this idea. Thinking about seminary and somebody, I guess I talked about it for a while. Somebody finally said to me, uh, why don't you do something about it? And I was like, oh, oh okay. <laughs> I guess I do have to take, you know, the GREs and, you know, do all this. So I actually started on that path and ended up at Denver Seminary, um, which, again, one of my mentors had gone there, which is such the connection to that, because um, I applied to other places, and my family begged me to go to Southwestern in Fort Worth, um, because I'd be closer to home, and I just knew that that's not what I was supposed to do. And I remember this fearfully telling my parents I was moving to, to Denver, that that's just where I really believed God wanted me to be and crying. Cause I was a little like, Oh, you're going to hate this. Um, and both of them laughing and going, you've actually been trying to get there since you could walk. And I was like, really? Oh, wow. Um, and they were like, yeah. Um, I wanted to go to college up here, but my parents were like, well, that's great. If you want to pay your own out state tuition. Um, or you can stay in Texas and have in-state tuition. Um, and so I, you know, so they were not shocked by it, which I think surprised me. I was shocked by it. Um, but it definitely Denver going to Denver seminary, just again, a new, I kind of made another turn in my journey that opened up a whole new world for me. Yeah. What'd you study? I have a master's in counseling. Okay. You went to counseling. Yeah. there. Counseling is a huge thing in Denver. It, it is. And I just knew I had, um, from all my time as being a youth leader, I, kids would tell me things like boys and girls, they would like tell me all their brokenness. And all the other leaders are like, why did they tell you? And I keep saying, I don't know. I don't know why they tell me, but I don't know how to respond. Yeah. Many kids tell me about sexual abuse and about alcohol in their trunk at school that they went out and drank every break. And I was just like, why did they tell me? And I just remember going, I want to understand people and I want to be able to help them. And I think God's plan was he wanted me to understand myself. And going through the counseling program, I often said it was more about me. He, he needed to help me see my brokenness and accept that and to, to experience some healing. So I was like, it ended up being, you know, God was taking me through a journey, but it was like, here's your journey. You need some work. And I'm going to put you in this world of counseling and you'll grow through it. And it was wonderful and painful at the same time. Yeah, I can imagine. I don't. I don't see how you go through a program like that and not be painfully aware of your own brokenness. We sure hope so. <laughs> yeah, right. We so, were told. Yeah, go ahead. We were told that not to go through, that to not think we could be a counselor if we weren't willing to be a counselee. Yeah, you know we, that we had to learn to receive. 
Yeah, totally. That makes sense. Okay. So you're studying counseling. And so then was, so what I'm curious about is I want to get, like, I don't know if you had like a time, was this a time when you felt like God was far away or was there sort of a, a wall experience at a different time for you? Um, I, goodness, I actually think that I went through a huge wall experience while I was at seminary. Um, kind of went through a whole nother crisis. Got in, loved it, but had never planned on being a counselor. Wanted the counseling because I really felt called the ministry. And, but you know, the further I went, I'm like, well, maybe I'll be a counselor. It's what everybody else is doing. Um, I just was like, okay, is that when I'm supposed to? And went through kind of a faith crisis again. And I'm like, I saw a lot of them in seminary. And I'm like, don't tell anybody that you go to seminary and you kind of lose your faith in the middle of it. Um, <laughs> right. A lot of people do. But it, it was this. And I can remember, again, kind of going, do you love me? Do you want me to do this? Um, same kind of thing. I tried to make some inroads and like, I'll volunteer here. I'll volunteer there. I'll do this. And just felt like there were always doors, and I was kind of like, nobody wants me. And so then that's also a personal crisis of, well, nobody wants me. And so I, I just remember in seminary, my biggest thing was really going, I believe God is good. I'm not sure I believe God's good to me. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And so had this real crisis of, do I believe God loves me and can I receive that? Um, do I know how? How did you resolve I, that? Or was there ever like an experience that you had or what? How'd that? I did. I did have a kind of a final, I wasn't volunteer. I quit everything. I wasn't volunteering anywhere. I wasn't really going to church. And I can remember sitting in my apartment in a rocking chair um, and rocking and just being angry, angry at God. And like, you don't want me and, there's nothing good. And I honestly feel like God said, I love you right now. So you do, you're not doing anything for me, which is something I needed because I was a, I'm really good at doing, but he was like, you're just being, and I love you absolutely completely right now. And I think that was a realization for me that it wasn't, I didn't have to earn God's love. That I actually was just loved. And that, was probably most, you know, incredibly healing. And I really entered into kind of, I think the next stage is going, well, what does it mean to be the beloved of God? Yeah. And how do I learn to receive that love? Right. So then, then that turns into something much more about, um, kind of about yourself and kind of learning how to be yourself in the world. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, take us it, into that. Where, where'd you go from there? I graduated, um, traveled a bit, um, took a numerous jobs of a number of counseling jobs, none of which I lasted in very long. I was pretty miserable in all of them. And everybody's, I have many friends that are like, you had to be a great counselor. I was like, no, it's probably the worst counselor you ever met. <laughs> I don't sit still very well. So being in a locked office for hours on end makes me not a nice person. <laughs> I'm like, so I worked a lot with kids and we would go for walks, a lot of teenagers. I'm like, okay, we're walking while we're doing counseling because I just, I'm not a good sitter. And I just was like, this is close, but this isn't who I am. Um, and honestly went through some really bad jobs. So still was like, God, who am I? Who am I? Um, ended up moving to South Africa, um, kind of on a crazy um because I had volunteered for so long, I got this newsletter that only went out to like young life volunteers and staff. And there were always jobs listed in it. And there was a job listed in South Africa and they needed somebody with counseling experience who had worked with diverse cultures and with trauma and all of this. And I had been working in a, some pretty hardcore kind of, um, with teenagers and young adults who, you know, both prison kind of things and just all kinds of abuse. And I remember reading that and going, oh, that sounds kind of like me. And then going, but it's in Johannesburg, South Africa. <laughs> no, thank you. Wow. 
showed it to a couple friends. They were like, that sounds like you. I'm like, I know, two minutes in Africa. <laughs> and I thought I threw it away. Six weeks later, I found it in a pile. And went, dang it. <laughs> it's still here. And and what's interesting is it wasn't just the flyer that was still there. There was still like this little tug in your heart, right? Exactly. Yeah. And when I saw it, I was like, darn, it didn't just go away. <laughs> so I talked with a mentor who encouraged me to call and just said, just call and ask questions. Just call and ask questions. That's not doing anything. I was like, okay. I did. And speaking with the person that was kind of over the position and they were like, I think you're exactly what we're looking for what they're looking for. It was actually some of the estates talking for the people in South Africa, but it was for a conservative reformed church in South Africa. And I said, well, will they even hire a woman? And they said, well, that's a big question. I don't know. Um, you're right. They're, it's a very patriarchal. They have no women in leadership. Um, I ended up there in three, three months later, I had sold everything I owned and lived there. Wow. Yeah. So it was a pretty, actually, it was a little less than three months. It was kind of a crazy whirlwind that I ended up living in Johannesburg, South Africa in 94, four months after Mandela became president. So that's an interesting time to be in South Africa. It was a crazy time. They didn't have, they were rewriting their constitution. They'd had their national elections that he had gotten elected in, but had not had their province or local elections. Um, so I lived there during all those first elections. Um, yeah. Um, at the time I moved to Johannesburg, it was the world's most violent city. Oh, wow. Outside of the Bosnia-Herzegovina conflict, but was Yugoslavia that had just fallen apart. Outside that war zone, it was the most dangerous city in the world. And I lived about three blocks from the most dangerous street um, right in the city. Um all crazy things, um, and I just moved right into it. Wow. So what was – so living in a place like that, how did you bring the gospel or the kingdom of God to bear in that place in your ministry? You know, I was sent there by Young Life to work with three churches in the inner city, and I had kept trying to do things with youth but had just failed and failed. So um, kind of – was given the task of, and where I started was gathering leaders, young adults, and loving them, training them, walking with them, and um, and because of, the goal is to train trainers, and young life sends people, they're like, don't take over, don't start our own thing. Find the people there, train them, teach them how to do their own thing, and that was really my ministry, was these young adults who then we did run youth groups and we ran kind of young life clubs and we put on some camps and, um, but I really always believed my job was to love and really do spiritual formation with these young adults, um, for them, because it was ultimately going to be theirs. This was their community. This was their home. Um, and so I was there for almost three years really doing, Exactly that. Just loving young adults and teaching them how to reach out to kids. Well, wow. how did that change you or shape your view of yourself or the Lord? Oh, completely. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> First of all, it was it was before we had the worldwide internet. <laughs> right. Um, you still had to do dial up, and in South Africa, you pay for every local phone call. So to call to get to dial up, I had to pay for a call. Plus, then I had to pay for dial-up. So you didn't do, you know, you didn't, you weren't on the internet. The only time I ever got on it was to send my newsletters back here so that they could be printed by Young Life and mailed down. Um, phone calls were hugely expensive. So I've never been lonelier in my life. Um, intensely lonely. Because I, though I had friends there, they weren't, they weren't from my culture. You know, we were just different, and I knew that. I think I really gained an incredible intimacy with God because it's what I had, and it's kind of what kept me going. And also in a very dangerous place. Um, I listened to a lot of gunfire wow. every single night. Um, AK-47 gunfire outside your windows. Little, that's, that's, little crazy. Those are loud. For, for a few, 
Yeah, a little loud. And you don't sleep for months very well because it wakes you up. I could remember waking up and going to find people and everybody be sleeping. And they were like, I was like, how do you sleep? And they're like, I, I, one of my good friends was a guy who went to the same church, one of the churches I worked with. He lived on the bottom floor. I at least lived up some levels. He was a police officer and he slept through it all. And he said, because it's, you have to, to survive. You can't, I can't be on duty. And, um, I realized I had a friend come over about six months and the first time she, she woke up screaming, there's good for her, there's good for her. And I realized she woke me up and I went, oh, I'm sleeping through it. <laughs> okay. I've, I've, it's scary enough. It's normalized to me, but I would say probably real deep intimacy and really like God was in many ways, all I had. And then honestly, teaching is such a, and being almost feeling responsible for, kind of my disciples, um, really stretched me. Um, what am I teaching? What am I saying? How am I leading? Um, just walking and having conversations with people constantly because they just found me really interesting. First of all, I was a, a woman. I was American. Um, I just, people had so many questions and just having these long conversations and constantly going, God, please guide me. You know, I sure I talk about you all the time. Please let it be the right thing. Um, and just really believed that and came to understand that God does use me, that God wanted to work through me and that I had some gifting, um, and really learned to trust. Wow. The Holy spirit works right through me. It's, it became profound to me that, Oh, I have, I have worth. I am someone because God wants to work through me too. Yeah. So it sounds like this was a time where you really sort of honed your gifts. I I think so. I don't know that I, I think coming home, actually, I began to understand what they were, but I, but I actually used them and learned them. And then I think when I moved back to the United States, the next few years was, well, what are those gifts? I'm definitely good at leading. I'm good at training and, spiritual formation. I'm good at really guiding people in their spiritual paths. Yeah. And I'm really good at helping leaders um, grow. And what I learned is that I, I recognized gifts in others and I was really good at encouraging and bringing them forth and helping other people believe they had them. Right. Which often is one of the most important things we can receive, right? If somebody sees it and says and confirms, even if you're feeling something, you may not, um, you know, pursue it. If you don't have somebody to actually say, yeah, this is, this is actually what I see. So you're, you're serving them in that way. Correct. Yeah. And yeah, just have someone to see it in you and then believe it and believe it so much that you become to believe. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. God's here and God's present and doing something. I didn't know that was spiritual direction. <laughs> I had right. no terminology for that, but I think that's where I learned to walk into that. I just kind of been built for that. And it wasn't until I moved back to the States and several years later that I came to go, Oh, I, I ran into somebody who had gone through a program. They're like, in you're the person who should be in this program. And I was like, what? Mm-hmm. And the best part of that was going, oh, this is what I've been doing for so long. I just didn't have a word for it. Yeah. So what was that feeling like when you realized, oh, I've been doing this. There's actually a whole, it's a whole thing, right? It's a whole practice and a discipline even that you've been practicing on your own and you've kind of discovered it. How'd that feel? Wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely wonderful. And confirming of who I am. When I interviewed to be in the spiritual direction program, they asked me if I had the gift of discernment. And 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 I had been a good evangelical in my life. I was like, well, we don't talk about those kind of words. <laughs> I've never right. heard it. And I'm like, we don't really talk about that. I was like, so I'm not even sure what it is. I can remember this, my interview going in. I'm definitely not getting in because I can't even tell them what it means. Um, but I, I said two things. Um, I think maybe I do, and here's why. I said, I have always had these really deep 
feelings and knowledge. Like I'd have girlfriends start to date someone and they'd be like, it's my true love. And I'd be inside. I'd be like, Oh no, no, it's definitely not. And I said, I, it ruined some friendships because I was like, I, and they're like, you're not supportive. And I was just, but I just had this knowledge, this gut, that this is not going to be a good thing. And it could be a lovely Christian guy. They were dating. But I was just like, Oh, this is, so I told her that and my, the people I were interviewing and they were kind of laughing. And I was like, and the other one is as a counselor, the only thing I was really good at was diagnos- diagnosing. Um, I was a supervisor for bachelor level clinicians and they would stand at my door waiting their turn to come in and go, here's my client. And here's, I don't know what to diagnose wow. them with. And I don't know what to say. And I don't know what question to ask. And I have this family coming in. Can you help me? And cause I supervised them. And, they would come back later and go, how did you know that? How did you know to ask that question? That just blew open everything and blah, blah, blah. And the family's like, they're like, how do you? And I'm like, I, I don't know. And I realized as I interviewed me, I said, I don't know where this comes from. But I've always had this ability to, to know and see things and experience things. And I said, but it doesn't always make people happy when I say it. Right. Um, and I got into the program, so I think they thought that was discernment. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I was the youngest person in my program, which was a blessing because that the elder wisdom I was among was just, oh, I just ate it up. It, it just filled my soul because there's just these wise people around me who spoke a different language than I had spoken most of my life. Yeah, no doubt. Okay, so that's interesting. The gift of discernment. This way, you were able to connect the dots for people in ways that they that they um, you know couldn't have done on their own. So, how does that work out? So, you discovered spiritual direction. Uh, so you're and you serve as a spiritual director now. So, how like take it? Bring us up up to that and kind of what how this changes or shapes your faith or kind of leads you into a different space with the Lord. You know, going, going through the program I went through, um, which was at the time called the Vincentian Center for Spirituality and Work. It's now just called the Center for Spirituality and Work. Um, the, the program was mostly Catholics and then a lot of Quakers. Um, and just honestly being in that program for two years and being around um, people who loved God but understood God in in use different language than I had been brought up in, in the evangelical tradition. My understanding of both myself and God continued to broaden. And all of a sudden, um, I was like, God's so much bigger and so much more mysterious and so beautiful. And so I kind of expanded, I'd almost say through that, just kind of, it was, it was wonderful. And I was just like, Oh, God is so big and so beautiful. And, there's so much there. So that was kind of my path at that time was kind of experiencing God in an even greater way and through other people who just, who loved just as much as I did, but used different language yeah. um, and saw God, saw parts and elements of God that I had not necessarily been exposed to. So I have this picture I, of you. You said you expanded. I have this picture of you sort of growing, um, not not physically, right? But obviously sort of this like just ex- this sort of expansive like a marshmallow, you know, with just kind of growing. Um, which is a terrible analogy to say to somebody. But uh, but you get the idea, right? This sort of just slow and kind of expansive sort of presence as as your world sort of unfolds or opens up, the lid mm-hmm. kind of comes off the box, kind of growing out of it. And I think that's exactly God got out of the box, which was probably a good thing for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's always <laughs> a good thing God for us. Fit at all in the box. Yeah, and that helped. But I really think it expanded my heart and my soul. You know, that's kind of I feel like the inside of me just expanded, um, and was even more able to embrace the world and to tender to experience God oh. in a bigger way. That's so interesting. Um, I, I just want to say I want to want to go there, but I want to say to our friends. Guys, this is what God does, right? And it's not so if you're afraid to go outside of your tradition, you're afraid of growing. So you have to be willing to do that at the right time when, when you feel like God's calling you to 
don't be afraid to go there. So, okay. Take us to, um, to yeah, where were you going? So you started doing, doing direction. Go ahead. I started doing direction. Um, I, um, I've partnered with a number of different ministries in town and worked, worked, um, I had worked for Malheim Ministries for a long time and oh, yeah. I've done some things with them. They do some um, cool stuff been, around town there. That's, uh, I'm working on a couple people from there. So hopefully maybe we'll get a chance you? to hear from them. Yeah. I'll have to talk to you about that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Good. Well, and what's interesting is my supervisor in my program through my, and through my spiritual direction program became the chaplain there a number of years later. Um, because my supervisor at Mile High decided, he asked me one day, he said, I think maybe I need spiritual direction. Who do you recommend? Well, I connected him. And through that, that became a whole new path for their lives. And so anyway, it's, it's amazing what God wants to do if you'll let him, you know, just through connections. And, but I, I have worked with young adults, um, kind of moved from high school age up to more college and after, um, worked at a church for a while, um, have, you know, a number of things, but really what I love is helping people grow into who they're meant to become with that. So who God created them to be, to help them understand who they truly are and to live into that. Um, so my counseling helps out my spiritual direction, um, I encountered the Enneagram and the Enneagram kind of expanded my world even more. And it yeah. again was this huge personal growth um, piece. Well, it, this amazing transformational tool that I encountered. Yeah. What are you on the Enneagram? Um, I'm a two. You're a two. Okay. You're a helper. I'm a good two. <laughs> that makes sense. Actually. That's good. That's um, yeah. So how did that, how did that kind of affirm or kind of, change, like help you interpret your experiences? You know, I, when I first encountered the Enneagram, I went through, I, I think my very first encounter was the thing that I think is best about me is actually the thing that's most killing me. It's the thing that's breaking me. And I teach now that whatever you think is your greatest strength, the adage, the old adage is true. It is your greatest weakness. Yeah. The thing that is best about you is actually the thing that is most likely to destroy you. Um, and I really believe that, um, you know, Paul talks about that. I do what I don't want to do. You know, why can't I do what I want to do? I, you know, I really believe that whole passage is really Enneagram. It's this, I know there's broken things and I've worked on it and I've done counseling and I've done this and why can't I get over myself? And I think the beautiful part of the Enneagram is it holds this mirror not to our face, but to our soul and helps us go, oh, that's why I can't seem to get over myself. And that's why it need, we need the Holy Spirit. We need, because we need, our, we need to look at our brokenness and recognize that where we're weakest is where God wants to work. But we have to turn it over to God. and our weakest point is actually our greatest strength because it's the thing we hold tightest to the way we work through our world. And we don't need God when it's our strength. And I think it's this crazy recognition of, Oh, it's actually the thing that gets between me and myself, me and others. And it actually gets between me and God because it's what I think is good about me. Oh yeah. Wow. I love that. Okay. There's um, a shadow. Yeah, right. Of course. Absolutely. Well, that is wonderful. Millie, I, we could probably talk for a long time about what God's doing uh, in you and in your ministry. Um, I just love the opportunity to talk about spiritual direction and um, all the ways that God has uh, has kind of brought you along here. Um, friends, I want uh, to just encourage you if you enjoy, if you need spiritual director, I don't know, Millie, if you do like virtual stuff online or not. Um, cause a lot of my audience isn't going to be in Denver. Some of it is. Uh, but if, even if, uh, do you do that? Yes. You do. Okay, great. So even, mm -hmm. so how can people reach you? If, like they wanted to go, okay, this is some, something I want to pursue. You know, um, the best way to reach me is either going to the urban sky website, 
Um, so urban sky with an E.com. I mean, dot org. Sorry. Um, and I'm on there and clicking on it and sending me a message Perfect. or they can contact me through my Facebook page. Um, um, and send me a message. And from there, I can exchange information with them. Um, and we can just talk about if it's the right fit. Perfect. Uh, whether they live here or somewhere else. Excellent. Um, yeah, and I'll put those links in the show notes at halfwaytherepodcast.com. You guys know how to go there and find Millie. So um, do that. Um, and also, you know, you're, you you do spiritual direction. You also um, are you're supported, right, through through the ministry? I do. I raise support through Urban Sky. Yes, yeah, so if it, God so moves you, you can. I'll put that link to the Urban Sky um, page, and you can click donate if you were interested in doing that as well. So, um, Millie, thank you so much for being here. Anything you want to leave us with? Oh, um, I, I guess I would say I encourage people to believe in who they are and believe that they were created in the image of God, which is a glorious thing. And if you don't know the glory of God that you carry within, then seek out someone to help you discover that. It's there. Yeah. Amen. You don't have to go it alone. And in the church, you shouldn't. Spiritual direction is something that you should certainly uh, do. And it might be the thing that will take you and get you unstuck from where you are and to live into being the person that God has made you to be. Exactly. Awesome. Well, hey, friends, thank you so much for listening. Um, again, halfwaythepodcast.com to get the links. And uh, I mentioned it earlier, uh, pick up your eight-day Bible study. It's, it's there at halfwaythepodcast.com as well. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.